section forty three of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly craik chapter four part nineteen edmund spencer if harvey had seriously infected spencer with the madness of his hexameters and pentameters the reformed versifying might have been brought for a short time into more credit although spencer's actual performances in it as has been remarked are bad enough to countenance even those of his friend the inventor but besides that to change as this system appears to have required the entire pronunciation and musical character of a language is as much beyond the power of any writer or host of writers as to change the direction of the winds the two cases being alike governed by laws of nature above human control spencer was of all writers the one least likely to be permanently enthralled by the pursuit of such an absurdity of all our great poets he is the one whose natural tastes were most opposed to such outlandish innovations upon and harsh perversions of his native tongue whose genius was essentially the most musical the most english and the most reverential of antiquity edmund spencer has been supposed to have come before the world as a poet so early as the year fifteen sixty nine when some sonnets translated from petrarch which long afterwards were reprinted with his name appeared in van der newt's theatre of worldlings on the twentieth of may in that year he was entered a sizer of pembroke hall cambridge and in that same year also an entry in the books of the treasurer of the queen's chamber records that there was paid upon a bill signed by mr secretary dated at windsor eighteenth octobrus to edmund spencer that brought letters to the queen's majesty from sir henry norris knight her majesty's ambassador in france being at two r in the said realm for his charges the sum of six pounds thirteen shillings four pence over and besides nine pounds pressed it to him by sir henry norris it has been supposed that this entry refers to the poet the date fifteen ten given as that of the year of his birth upon his monument in westminster abbey erected long after his death is out of the question but the above-mentioned facts make it probable that he was born some years before fifteen fifty three the date commonly assigned he has himself commemorated the place of his birth at length he says in his prothalamion or poem on the marriages of the two daughters of the earl of worcester at length they all to marry london came to marry london my most kindly nurse that to me gave this life's first native source though from another place i take my name and house of ancient fame it is commonly said on the authority of oldis that he was born in east smithfield by the tower it appears from the register of the university that he took his degree of bachelor of arts in fifteen seventy two and that of master of arts in fifteen seventy six on leaving cambridge he retired for some time to the north of england 
here he appears to have written the greater part of his shepherd's calendar which having previously come up to london he published in fifteen seventy nine and he had already as we learn from his correspondence with harvey finished two works entitled his dreams and dying pelican of which nothing is now known unless the former as has been conjectured be the same afterwards published under the titles of the visions of petrarch the visions of belay and visions of the world's vanity and he had begun his fairy queen as well as at least designed and perhaps made some progress in a poem in harvey's new mode of versifying to be entitled epithalamian tamesis which book he says i dare undertake will be profitable for the knowledge and new for the invention and manner of handling the subject was to be treated in the same manner as it is in the fourth book of the fairy queen he also speaks of another work which he calls his stomata dudleana probably a poem in honour of the family of his patron the earl of leicester uncle of sir philip sidney of which he says that it must not lightly be sent abroad without more advisement adding however but trust me though i never do well yet in my own fancy i never did better and harvey congratulates him on nine comedies which he had either written or was engaged with i am void of all judgment if your nine comedies whereunto in imitation of herodotus you give the names of the nine muses come not as near ariosto's comedies either for the fineness of plausible elocution or the rareness of poetical as the fairy queen doth to his orlando but he published nothing more for some years in his letter to harvey written from leicester house in october fifteen seventy nine and more especially in a long latin valedictory poem included in it he speaks of being immediately about to proceed across the seas in the service of leicester to france as it would appear if not farther i go thither he writes as sent by him and maintained most what of him and there am to employ my time my body my mind in his honour's service but whether he actually went upon this mission is unknown in the beginning of august fifteen eighty on the appointment of arthur lord grey of wilton as lord deputy of ireland spencer accompanied his lordship to that country as his secretary in march the year following he was appointed to the office of clerk in the irish court of chancery but on lord grey being recalled in fifteen eighty two spencer probably returned with him to england it has been conjectured that he may have been the person mentioned in a letter to queen elizabeth from james the sixth of scotland dated at st andrews the second of july fifteen eighty three the original of which is preserved among the cotton manuscripts where james says in the postscript madam i have stayed master spencer upon the letter quilk is written with my awin hand quilk shall be ready within twey days of how he was employed for the next three or four years nothing is known but in fifteen eighty six he obtained from the crown a grant of above three thousand acres of forfeited lands in ireland the grant is dated the twenty seventh of july and if it was procured as is not improbable through sir philip sidney it was the last kindness of that friend and patron whose death took place in october of this year spencer proceeded to ireland to take possession of his estate which was a portion of the former domain of the earl of desmond in the county of cork and here he remained residing in what had been 
the earl's castle of kilcolman till he returned to england in fifteen ninety and published at london in quarto the first three books of his fairy queen if he had published anything else since the shepherd's calendar appeared eleven years before it could only have been a poem of between four and five hundred lines entitled muopotmus or the fate of the butterfly which he dedicated to the lady carrie he has himself related in his colin clout's come home again how he had been visited in his exile by the shepherd of the ocean by which designation he means sir walter raleigh and persuaded by him to make this visit to england for the purpose of having his poem printed raleigh introduced him to elizabeth to whom the fairy queen was dedicated and who in february fifteen ninety one bestowed on the author a pension of fifty pounds this great work immediately raised spencer to such celebrity that the publisher hastened to collect whatever of his other poems he could find and under the general title of complaints containing sundry small poems of the world's vanity printed together in a quarto volume the ruins of time the tears of the muses virgil's gnat mother hubbard's tale the ruins of rome from the french of belay muopotmus which is stated to be the only one of the pieces that have previously appeared and the visions of petrarch etc already mentioned many more it is declared which the author had written in former years were not to be found spencer appears to have remained in england till the beginning of the year fifteen ninety two his daphnaida an elegy on the death of douglas howard daughter of lord howard and wife of arthur gorgias esq is dedicated to the marchioness of northampton in an address dated the first of january in that year and it was published soon after he then returned to ireland and probably in the course of fifteen ninety two and fifteen ninety three there composed the series of eighty-eight sonnets in which he relates his courtship of the lady whom he at last married celebrating the event by a splendid epithalamion but it appears from the eightieth sonnet that he had already finished six books of his fairy queen his next publication was another quarto volume which appeared in fifteen ninety five containing his colin clout's come home again the dedication of which to raleigh is dated from my house at kilcoman december the twenty seventh fifteen ninety one no doubt a misprint for fifteen ninety four and also his astrophel an elegy upon sir philip sidney dedicated to his widow now the countess of essex together with the morning muse of thestilus another poem on the same subject the same year appeared in octavo his sonnets under the title of amoretti accompanied by the epithalamion in fifteen ninety six he paid another visit to england bringing with him the fourth fifth and sixth books of his fairy queen which were published along with a new edition of the preceding three books in quarto at london in that year in the latter part of the same year appeared in a volume of the same form a reprint of his daphnaida together with his prothalamion or spouse of verse on the marriages of the ladies elizabeth and catherine somerset and his four hymns in honour of love of beauty of heavenly love and of heavenly beauty dedicated to the countesses of cumberland and warwick in an address dated greenwich the first of september fifteen ninety six the first two of these hymns he states had been composed in the greener times of his youth and although he had been moved by one of the two ladies to call in the same as having too much pleased those of like age and disposition which being too vehemently carried with that kind of affection do rather suck out 
poison to their strong passion than honey to their honest delight he had been unable so to do by reason that many copies thereof were formerly scattered abroad at this time it was still common for literary compositions of all kinds to be extensively circulated in manuscript as used to be the mode of publication before the invention of printing these hymns were the last of his productions that he sent to the press it was during this visit to england that he presented to elizabeth and probably wrote his prose treatise entitled a view of the state of ireland written dialogue-wise between eudoxus and Irenaeus, but the work remained unprinted till it was published at dublin by sir james ware in sixteen thirty three spencer returned to ireland probably early in fifteen ninety seven and was the next year recommended by the queen to be sheriff of cork but soon after the breaking out of tyrone's rebellion in october fifteen ninety eight his house of kilcoman was attacked and burned by the rebels and one child having perished in the flames it was with difficulty that he made his escape with his wife and two sons he arrived in england in a state of destitution but it seems unlikely that with his talents and great reputation his powerful friends his pension and the rights he still retained although deprived of the enjoyment of his irish property for the moment he could have been left to perish as has been commonly said of want the breaking up of his constitution was a natural consequence of the sufferings he had lately gone through all that we know however is that after having been ill for some time he died at an inn in king street westminster on the sixteenth of january fifteen ninety nine two cantos undoubtedly genuine of a subsequent book of the fairy queen and two stanzas of a third canto entitled of mutability and forming part of the legend of constancy were published in an edition of his collected works in a folio volume in sixteen o nine and it may be doubted if much more of the poem was ever written as for the poem called britain's ida in six short cantos which also appeared in this volume it is certainly not by spenser besides the works that have been enumerated however the following compositions by spenser now all lost are mentioned by himself or his friends his pageants the canticles paraphrased a poetical version of ecclesiastes another of the seven penitential psalms the hours of our lord the sacrifice of a sinner purgatory a sinite's slumber the court of cupid and the hell of lovers he is also said to have written a treatise in prose called the english poet the most remarkable of spenser's poems written before his great work the fairy queen are his shepherd's calendar and his mother hubbard's tale both of these pieces are full of the spirit of poetry and his genius displays itself in each in a variety of styles the shepherd's calendar though consisting of twelve distinct poems denominated eclogues is less of a pastoral in the ordinary acceptation than it is of a piece of polemical or party divinity spenser's shepherds are for the most part pastors of the church or clergymen with only pious parishioners for sheep one is a good shepherd such as algrind that is the puritanical archbishop of canterbury grindle another represented in a much less favourable light is morel that is his famous antagonist elmore or aylmer bishop of london spencer's religious character and opinions make a curious subject which has not received much attention from his biographers his connection with sydney and leicester and afterwards with essex made him no doubt be regarded throughout his life as belonging to the puritanical party 
but only to the more moderate section of it which although not unwilling to encourage a little grumbling at some things in the conduct of the dominant section of the hierarchy and even professing to see much reason in the objections made to certain outworks or appendages of the established system stood still or drew back as soon as the opposition to the church became really a war of principles spencer's puritanism seems almost as unnatural as his hexameters and pentameters it was probably for the greater part the product of circumstances rather than of conviction or any strong feeling even while it lasted and it never appears afterwards in such prominence as in his shepherd's calendar the first work that he published it has even been asserted that his blatant beast in the sixth book of the fairy queen is meant for a personification of puritanism at any rate it is evident that in his later years his christianity had taken the form rather of platonism than of puritanism the puritanical spirit of some parts of the shepherd's calendar however probably contributed to the popularity which the poem long retained it was reprinted four times during the author's lifetime in fifteen eighty one fifteen eighty six fifteen ninety one and fifteen ninety seven yet it is not only a very unequal composition but is in its best executed or most striking parts far below the height to which spencer afterwards learned to rise we may gather from it that one thing which had helped to give him his church reforming notions had been his study and admiration of the old poetry of chaucer and the visions of piers ploughman one of his personages who in one of the eclogues discourses much in the style of the principal figure in langland's poem is called piers and chaucer is not only in various passages affectionately commemorated under the name of tityrus but several of the eclogues are written in a peculiar versification which appears to be intended as an imitation of that of chaucer's poetry so far as spenser at this time of his life can be accounted any authority in such a matter it may be admitted that he seems to have regarded the verse of his great predecessors only accentually not syllabically regular but it is still more evident at the same time that these intended imitations of chaucer and the shepherd's calendar do not really give a true representation of his prosody according to any theory of it that may be adopted the flow of the verse is rather that of the vision of piers ploughman only without the regular alliteration and with the addition of rhyme as a specimen of the shepherd's calendar we will give from the second eclogue which is one of those composed in this peculiar measure the tale of the oak and the briar as told by the old shepherd thenot who says he conned it up to tyrus in his youth there grew an aged tree on the green a goodly oak some time had it been with arms full strong and largely displayed but of their leaves they were disarrayed the body big and mightily pite throughly rooted and of wondrous height whilom he had been the king of the field and muckle mass to the husband did yield and with his nuts larded many swine but now the grey moss marred his rhyme his bared boughs were beaten with storms his top was bald and wasted with worms his honour decayed his branches sear hard by his side grew a bragging brier which proudly thrust into the element and seemed to threat the firmament it was embellished with blossoms fair and thereto i wanted to repair the shepherd's daughters to gather flowers to paint their garlands with his colours and in his small bushes used to shroud the sweet nightingale singing so loud which made this foolish brer wex so bold that on a time he cast him to scold and sneb the good oak for he was old why stands there quoth he thou brutish block nor for fruit nor for shadow serves thy stock 
seest how fresh my flowers been spread dyed in lily white and crimson red with leaves ingrained in lusty green colours meet to clothe a maiden queen thy waste bigness but cumbers the ground and dirks the beauty of my blossoms round the mouldy moss which thee accloyeth my cinnamon smell too much annoyeth wherefore soon i read thee hence remove lest thou the price of my displeasure prove so spake this bold brer with great disdain little him answered the oak again but yielded with shame and grief a dod that of a weed he was overcrawed it chanced after upon a day the husbandman's self to come that way of custom to surview his ground and his trees of state encompassed round him when the spiteful brer had espied he causeless complained and loudly cried unto his lord stirring up stern strife o oh, my liege lord the god of my life please of you pond your suppliant's plaint caused of wrong and cruel constraint which i your poor vassal daily endure and but your goodness the same secure am like for desperate dole to die through felonious force of mine enemy greatly aghast with this piteous plea him rested the goodman on the lee and bade the brer in his plaint proceed with painted words though gan this proud weed as most usin ambitious folk his coloured crime with craft to cloak ah my sovereign lord of creatures all thou placer of plants both humble and tall was not i planted of thine own hand to be the primrose of all thy land with flowering blossoms to furnish the prime and scarlet berries in summer time how falls it then that this faded oak whose body is sere whose branches broke whose naked arms stretch unto the fire unto such tyranny doth aspire hindering with his shade my lovely light and robbing me of the sweet sun's sight so beat his old boughs my tender side that off the blood springeth from woundis wide untimely my flowers forced to fall that bend the honour of your coronal and off he lets his canker worms light upon my branches to work me more spite and oft his hoary locks down doth cast wherewith my fresh flowerets been defast for this and many more such outrage crave i your goodly head to assuage the rancorous rigour of his might naught ask i but only to hold my right submitting me to your good sufferance and praying to be guarded from grievance to this the oak cast him to reply well as he couth but his enemy had kindled such coals of displeasure that the goodman nold stay his leisure but home him hasted with furious heat increasing his wrath with many a threat his harmful hatchet he hent in hand alas that it so ready should stand and to the field alone he speeded i little help to harm there needeth anger nold let him speak to the tree and on his rage mought cool it be but to the root bent his sturdy stroke and made many wounds in the wasted oak the axe's edge did oft turn again as half unwilling to cut the grain seemed the senseless iron did fear or to wrong holy eld did forbear for it had been an ancient tree sacred with many a mystery and often crossed with the priest's crew and often hallowed with holy water-dew but like fancies were in foolery 
and broughten this oak to this misery for naught mought they quitten him from decay for fiercely the goodman at him did lay the block oft groaned under his blow and sighed to see his near overthrow in fine the steel had pierced his pith though down to the ground he fell therewith his wondrous weight made the ground to quake the earth shrunk under him and seemed to shake there lieth the oak pitied of none now stands the brere like a lord alone puffed up with pride and vain pleasance but all this glee had no continuance for eftsoons winter gan to approach the blustering boreas did encroach and beat upon the solitary brere for now no succour was seen him near now gan he repent his pride too late for naked left and disconsolate the biting frost nipped his stalk dead the watery wet weighed down his head and heaped snow burthened him so sore that now upright he can stand no more and being down is trod in the dirt of cattle and browsed and sorely hurt such was the end of this ambitious brer for scorning eld the story is admirably told certainly with wonderful facility of expression as well as with a fancy and invention at once the most just and spirited and the most easy and copious altogether so as to betoken a poet such as had not yet arisen in the language since it had settled down into its existing form this earliest work of spenser's however betrays his study of our elder poetry as much by its diction as by the other indications already mentioned he has thickly sprinkled it with words and phrases which had generally ceased to be used at the time when it was written this he seems to have done not so much that the antiquated style might give the dialogue an air of rusticity proper to the speech of shepherds but rather in the same spirit and design though he has carried the practice much farther in which virgil has done the same thing in his heroic poetry that his verse might thereby be the more distinguished from common discourse that it might fall upon the ears of men with something of the impressiveness and authority of a voice from other times and that it might seem to echo and as it were continue and prolong the strain of the old national minstrelsy thus at once expressing his love and admiration of the preceding poets who had been his examples and in part his instructors and inspirers and making their compositions reflect additional light and beauty upon his own this is almost the only advantage which the later poets in any language have over the earlier and spenser has availed himself of it more or less in most of his writings though not in any later work to the same extent as in this first publication End of section forty three